G'day, I'm Liam, one of the pastors here at Lake Mac, and it's a pleasure to be with you again. Now, here in Australia, we have many, many blessings, but one of the great blessings of, of living in Australia is, is that we're in a culture that has actually been shaped by a Christian worldview. Uh, you might not have realised or reflected on that before, uh, but a lot of the things we take for granted as just part of our Australian society are shaped by the Christian worldview. We're actually shaped by the Bible. Things like social security, the idea that if you're unemployed or in some way disadvantaged, there might be some allowance from the government that will, or someone else that would help you along. That comes straight from the Bible. We have a tax system that enables free healthcare to be provided to all. We have a, a nation where the marginalised are often provided for. And those aren't just normal parts of human culture. They're, they're things that have been shaped by our Christian heritage. Now, they're really exciting things. They're, they're awesome things about our culture. But one of the really sad side effects of that is that the church and Christians for the main part have actually stepped out of that market, the market of loving the community. One of the side effects has been over the last few hundred years as our society, as our governments have taken over the role of caring for the poor and marginalised in our community, that this church has stepped out, that, that Christians have felt that in some way there's, there's nothing for us to do, that you know, the government has that sorted. Now the sad thing is that one, that's not true. There, there are always opportunities for us to love. And in the past few weeks, an era has begun where the whole church, all Christians worldwide, especially here in Australia for us, we have an incredible opportunity to love our community. Which leads us to the question that we'll be looking at today. Uh, what would Jesus do during uh, COVID-19 with the pandemic that's currently happening? What would Jesus do? How would Jesus respond to what we're seeing unfold in our society? What would he say to us? What would he say to the church? And what would he say to us individual Christians? And what would he encourage us to do? Now, in the passage that we're looking at today, a Jewish religious leader he comes and asks Jesus a question. Now, he's not, he's not genuine. He's not really interested. He just wants to test Jesus to see how much Jesus knows. And the first question he comes up with his test to Jesus is this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus just points him straight back to the Old Testament. He knows it's a test. So he points him back to what God has already said by way of a summary of the whole law. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. That was where Jesus pointed him back. Uh, and the religious expert, he wasn't, he wasn't finished. He wasn't finished with his question. Uh, verse 29 of Luke chapter 10, this religious expert, he wants to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? Who is my neighbour? Now again, the question isn't genuine. But as Jesus answers it, he is absolutely genuine. And it's part of that answer that we're going to be looking at tonight. Uh, so we're going to step through Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 35 now. Uh, and we're going to make some observations as we go along. Uh, we're going to see the, the main points that Jesus makes in his answer. First, we're going to see who is my neighbor, uh, that direct answer to the question, but we'll also see what does loving that neighbour, what does loving our neighbour mean? We'll tie that together by seeing the opportunity that we have to do good, and we'll finish up by seeing why it is we need Jesus in all of this. 
So first of all, let's uh, step through this passage and make some observations as we go through. When the book of Luke, starting in verse 30, uh, and Jesus replying to this guy's question, he said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now the Jericho road is, is a very steep and treacherous road. Uh, jumps down many hundred metres from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, there's big cliffs, there's big rocks. It's, it's perfect bandit country. Uh, we used to, on holidays, go down a road called Thunderbolts Way between Molong and Port Macquarie, uh, and there's a great big rock there. Uh, we always were told that, oh, this is bushranger country, and we'd imagine that, oh, no, we're going to get held up as if we're a stagecoach. That, that's basically what the Jerusalem to Jericho Road was like, perfect bushranger country. Um, so this wouldn't have been an uncommon occurrence. Uh, but this guy, he, he's been uh, attacked, beaten, uh, left for dead, uh, and they leave him there lying on the side of the road. But it's a, it's a pretty well-trafficked road, so not too long and someone comes along. Uh, verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now this, this is especially shocking because the priests, they're, they're meant to be the people who are closest to God, aren't they? They're meant to be the people who are most holy, who are most loving. Uh, it's almost like, well, they're, they're, they're paid to look after others. Uh, but he sees him and deliberately looks away, walks on the other side. Uh, the Levite, that uh, was one of the tribes of Israel, uh, the Levites who weren't priests, that's probably who this was, uh, they, they helped in the temple. They weren't, they weren't in the priesthood, but they helped around the temple. So this is a temple servant. You know, maybe the priest, he had his white robes on, he didn't want to get them all muddy and bloody from the, the guy who'd been beaten up. But, but, you know, a temple helper, surely he would have been used to this sort of thing, used to dealing with sacrifices. But they both averted their eyes and deliberately went in another direction so they didn't have to look at this guy who was so desperately in need. Now, this seems shocking to me, but as I've been reflecting on this week, this, this week, it, it, it occurred to me that I've actually done this exact same thing. I, in a trivial way, I've done it when I get... Uh, uh, held up outside of coals uh, by people who want my money to save the whales or something else uh, and I'll think, oh, I'll see them there and I'll actually go out that entrance, walk all the way around coals and back in the other en entrance um, so that I can get into coals without having to walk past them. Now, now that's a bit of a silly uh, illustration but I I've, I've actually done that when I've seen homeless people, when I've seen people who I think, ah, oh, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to look this person in the eye. I don't know how to walk past them and, and hear their voice and just keep walking and cross the road. And, and to my shame, I've done that. Uh, may, maybe you have. Maybe you, you know that feeling of averting your eyes because oh, there's something in you that's tugging you that says you should do something, but you just don't want to have to deal with it at the moment. So you cross the road. Now, we're going we're to come back to what this should mean for us in a little while. Um, but let's see what happens next in this story. Uh, and the next thing that happens in verse 33 is a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was. 
Uh, now, if you're not aware of who the Samaritans were, there are, there are a group of people who were, I guess, half Israeli. In the history of the Jewish nation, there came a point in history uh, under Solomon's son where the, the nation was split in two, uh, into the northern ten tribes and the bottom two tribes. Uh, so the, the northern tribes uh, of, of Israel uh, became the nation of, of Israel and their capi- capital was Samaria. Now, now that, that, that independent kingdom uh, away from Jerusalem and Judah, uh, they actually got defeated by the Assyrians uh, a lot of their population was exported and the Assyrians had a policy when they took over a nation of importing other nations and other faiths to, to mix the culture so that there would never again be an uprising. And it worked really well for them. So, so this northern part of Israel, the nation of Israel with its capital being Samaria, ended up being full of people who were half-blooded Jews. Um, they'd mixed with the other nations who'd come in. Uh, they'd actually set up their own centers of worship. They sort of, sort of followed the Jewish faith, but they'd set up their own altars, their own center of worship. And so the Jews from, from down in, in, in the south around Jerusalem, the Jews from Judah, they looked at these Samaritans and they looked down on them uh, because they, they, they looked at them as people who'd, uh, who, who'd re- they were apostates. They'd rejected their faith. They'd set up a competition to Jerusalem. Uh, they denied their God by intermarrying with these other tribes. Uh, for a Jew, if you were at a Jewish play at the time, uh, if you saw a Samaritan come on the set, you knew, oh, we need to boo at this stage. It's the quintessential bad guy. And so that, that's what we're prepped for when this Samaritan comes. You think, oh, what's he going to do? Is he going to go and kick him? What's he going to do? But just have a look at what happens in verse 33. But this Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him he went to him and he bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him back to an inn and took care of him the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper look after him he said and when i return i will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have uh, what, what a shock for the audience to hear this. Remember who was asking the initial question? A teacher of the law, a religious expert, a, a Jewish hierarchy. And Jesus just painted the quintessential good guys, the priest and the Levite, they're the bad guys. And now the bad guy, the Samaritan, is the good guy. He, he takes pity on him. He, he has compassion on him. Something stirs his heart. And even this enemy of his, the, this Jew who would normally look down on him, wouldn't even deign to speak to him. He looks at him and he has pity, compassion on him. He goes over and he, he doesn't just you know, check that he's alive and give him a bit of, bit of water. He, he treats his wounds. He, use, he, has, he makes bandages. Well, I don't know whether he had to tear his clothes or he had bandages, but either way, he uses his own provisions, oil uh, and wine. He, he treats his wounds with the, the best of what he has with him. And then did you notice, uh, as they went along to the inn, he put him on his own donkey. That means that the Samaritan is now walking. He had a donkey, obviously, because he he didn't want to walk and he could afford not to walk, so he's riding his donkey. But he went without. He went without so that this injured guy uh, could ride the donkey. They they get to the inn, uh, he gives him... Two denarii, that's two days' wages, so probably conservatively, 400 bucks. 
Uh, Anne says, if there's any extra expense, any extra expense, I'll, I'll pay on my return journey. Uh, can, you, can you imagine doing this? We often wouldn't even do this for a friend, let alone someone who would naturally look down on us. Uh, so, so Jesus' audience, these religious people, these, this teacher of the law and his mates, uh, how would they have been feeling at this moment? I think they would have been pretty stunned. And it's at that point that Jesus hits them with a question. Verse 36. Uh, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Well, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, there's two main questions that Jesus clearly answers in this, in this parable. The first question he answers is, who is my neighbor? That, that was the initial question the teacher of the law asked, who's my neighbor? And, and it's pretty simple and clear, isn't it? It's pretty obvious from this parable. The Jews despised the Samaritans, and yet this Samaritan went out of his way to love him. Who is my neighbor? Well, everyone. If the Jewish person's neighbor includes the Samaritans, then no one is excluded. It's not just your friends. It's not just your family. It's not just the people who live you know, on either side of you and maybe behind. Um, it's anyone, uh, anyone I might come in contact with. It's anyone I might have the opportunity to love. That's who my neighbor is. Anyone I might, even however fleetingly, come in contact with. Anyone who I might have an opportunity to love. And that, that brings us to the second question that Jesus answers here. And that's, well, what does loving them mean? What, what does being loving to someone mean? I think it's helpful to look at how the Samaritan behaved. Because that's the example Jesus used. Just think about what this Samaritan did. The first thing he did was notice. He didn't ignore the man's need. He didn't cross the road. He didn't avert his eyes. He didn't pretend he wasn't there. He noticed. He recognized the need. And he went over and he started sacrificing immediately. Used his own bandages, his own oil, his own wine. Put him on his own donkey, spent his own money. And offered to come back and pay more money to heal this man, to look after him. In short... Uh, this Samaritan treated the Jewish man as he would have liked to be treated. He'd packed that oil and wine because he wanted to use it for himself. He had a donkey because he wanted to ride it. He went to the inn because that's where he was going to stay naturally. He treated the injured man in the way he would like to be treated. That's what love means. To treat others as yourself, as you would like to be treated. Now, and now as we think about what that means for us, I, I haven't seen a Jewish man beaten on the side of the road recently that I might stop and look after. So what will it look like for us? Where does this cross over for us? Well, I want to take us back to the passage we looked at two weeks ago in the letter of Galatians, where we're urged to do good. Uh, and we're going to see the the opportunity that we have to do good. Have a look there, uh, Galatians chapter 6. It'll be on the screen. I'll read from verse 9 and 10. Uh, and Paul's writing to these churches in Galatia, and he says this. 
Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Now, I take it uh, that in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan, he wasn't out looking for people who'd been beaten up. I don't think he, he thought, okay, I'm going to do today, I'm going to get out with my donkey, I've got my bandages all packed up, I'm going to hope that I come across some injured travellers and I can look after them. It, it doesn't read like that. I don't think that's what had happened. He was just on his way uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho or vice versa. And he happened across an injured man. It was an opportunity that he wasn't expecting. But it was an opportunity a particular opportunity that presented this man, this Samaritan, the opportunity to do good, the opportunity to love someone. Now, for us, that, that means that we too have opportunities almost every day when we might do good. And that's what in Galatians, <coughs> that's what in Galatians we read. And in the last few weeks, a very particular opportunity has presented itself, has presented itself uh, to us in this pandemic with the COVID-19 virus, an opportunity uh, for us to do good, for us to love others, love each other and our community. And this is a very real opportunity for us to today. Now, I've got just just five very quick things uh, that I think very tangibly. Um, I'll pop a link up to a Gospel Coalition video Um, I I basically pinched a bunch of these from there because they are really good thoughts on how we can practically love others at this time. Uh, And the first thing we can do to take this opportunity to love others is actually to obey the authorities. Uh, Romans 13 tells us that our authorities are there to help us, that God's in control of all things. And when our authorities give us good commands, they're not sinful, they're not telling us to break God's law, they're not telling us to move away from Jesus. Uh, When our authorities give us instructions, we're to follow them. And we shouldn't just do that uh, because of fear of punishment. We should do it because of our conscience. And, And in this case, it's very, very clear that, that we, have, we have a health system, we have experts, we have a government who have more information than we do. That's their job. They have the specialists. They, they have more information than we do, and that's good and right. And so when they give us instructions, when they say, hey, stay at home if you're sick, when they say, if, if you're a senior, you, you, should, you should stay home. We should do that. Not just for ourselves, but as an act of love to our community. Uh, because that is what is going to slow the spread of this virus so that our, our health professionals and our hospitals can deal with the people who are going to need ICU beds. Uh, so I want to encourage us to, to obey all our authorities in this. Uh, just this morning, it's, it's Friday as I'm preaching this, just this morning our Premier uh, released a latest update saying that if you're a senior, and in New South Wales being a senior is defined as 60 uh, so that's not a call I made, that, that, that is the definition. If you're 60 years or over, over, or you have an illness or a condition that makes you vulnerable in any way to this virus, our Premier said, stay at home. Not unless you need the shops, not unless you need something else. That, that's just blanket. Stay at home and get others to do it for you. Get others to go out for you. You need to stay at home. And that's the best 
uh, advice we, we can take. Uh, if you're not in those categories, we need to obey the authorities too. You would have seen we've been social distancing here, we've been keeping our distance, we've been working hard uh, to, not, to not contaminate each other. Um, not just because we don't want to infect each other for our good, but because we want to slow this rate of transmission. So that's the first way we can love others, uh, is, is to actually obey these instructions. Uh, and the second way is linked to that, because if the seniors in our, in our congregation stay in, if the seniors in our community aren't to go to the shops, those who are vulnerable aren't to go out, then we're going to need to care practically for those at risk. Uh, that, that's, that, that's just how it's going to be. If, if one household cannot go to the shops for food, how are they going to get food? Um, so, so I want to encourage you, if you're in a low-risk category because of your age, uh, because you ha don't have any pre-existing conditions, I want to encourage you to practically love those who are at risk. Uh, now, in our church, we've set up a group uh, called Linked, uh, where every household is linked to another part of our congregation. And we'll be checking each in with each other every week to see what our practical needs are, see how we can practically care for one another. Uh, if, if you're not able to provide the practical needs that your linked partner needs, uh, please get on to Rob or Nathan because we would love to help you out with that. So we've got, we've got a care team, we've got some people who are keen to help. But I want to encourage all of us to, if you are in that low-risk category, practically care for those at risk. Uh, begin with church, begin with your linked partner, but please don't let it stop there. Look out for your neighbours. You might want to maybe don't knock on their door, but sort of shout over the fence from a distance and see how they're going, see if they need some help. This is a wonderful opportunity for us to love. That's what we're told in Galatians, to do good as we have opportunity. This is an opportunity. Let's make the most of them. The third thing we can do to, to, to love each other, to do good at this time, is to share good information and ignore bad information. Uh, so I don't think I can say this strongly enough. Uh, if you see something on Facebook, if you see a, a news article or someone making a claim about coronavirus or anything else for that matter, please check its accuracy before you share it. There is far, far, far too much going out on social media and even just in our regular conversations that is just not true. And, and, and it causes panic, it causes anxiety. Uh, often it's actually causing racism, which is just the last thing we need and so ungodly. So please, please uh, ignore, ignore the bad information that's out there. Don't share it, check it. Even if it looks convincing, even if it looks like it's come uh, from good service sources, check it before you pass it on. So, so ignore that bad information, but instead share the good information, share the stuff that comes from the Department of Health, uh, share the information that's coming from good sources that we can trust, uh, because it's helpful for us to share that together. So that's the, the third aspect of love, the third opportunity we have to love at this point. Uh, the fourth one is I want to encourage us to, to pray for those on the front line. Uh, particularly our health professionals, the people who have to have face-to-face uh, -face, uh, contacts with people who probably have coronavirus. Uh, we've, we've got a friend, uh, Dave, who, who's in our network of churches. Uh, he's, he's currently on chemo. His wife is a GP. Think, wow, a hugely high-risk uh, person it, living in the same home as someone who has to be face-to-face -face with sick people. Uh, they've had to separate their house. 
Dave lives upstairs, Fiona lives downstairs. And, and they've had to do it that way uh, so that Dave can be protected uh, and so that Fiona can continue to serve people. Uh, I want to encourage us to be praying for everyone on the front line, our GPs, our nurses, uh, the hospital security guards, the, the cleaners, everyone who's involved in helping people who are sick and ill. Let's be praying for their protection, for their sustenance. They'll all be working overtime. Uh, and pray and support them as best you can. So if you know them, encourage them, see what you can do to help. They might need you to do some shopping for them because they're working so much. Um, do what we can to support them, but especially uh, by prayer as Christians. Uh, and the fifth thing you can do to love others at this time is to establish good spiritual rhythms. I find uh, it's often when I'm out of my normal routine uh, that my, my spiritual health starts to go down. Uh, it's when I'm out of routine that my daily Bible reading gets mucked up, that my daily quiet time, my prayer gets mucked up. And we're all out of routine now. As, as if you've been locked home, we've got kids at home. Uh, it's going to be really tricky for us. So, so if you're in a household on your own, establish good spiritual rhythms. It will be good for you to carry those on and it will help you to love others if you're being spiritually nourished every day. And if you're in a household with others, uh, if you've got a spouse, you've got kids at home or both, work together, not only for yourself, but for your whole family to establish good spiritual rhythms. I especially want to encourage you to do that if you have children. Uh, they don't have the access that we do as adults to be able to call people, to jump on the news, to encourage each other like that. Um, so if you have children, especially if they're younger, uh, you are their only access at this point to Christian community. Um, so help them get into some good patterns for, for Bible reading, for prayer. Uh, FaceTime, Skype with some other Christian families. Help them to interact well. We want to help you do that as a church. Um, so, so get on the church Facebook page. Uh, Nathan's going to help you out with how to do that well. Um, but let's be establishing those good rhythms in our homes at this point. Um, so they're the five things that, that we can do to take this opportunity to do good that's presented itself to us. But I do want to give us a warning at this point. A big warning that we should not walk out of here with a list to do. It's very dangerous to go right down those five things. Okay, I've got to do those five things and I'm sorted. Uh, we can't fix this. We can't. Uh, we can't be good enough. We're, we're, we're humans. We're, we, we stuff up. We're selfish. We can't do this ourselves. Uh, when I think about myself, I realize that you know, we, we can't self sort ourselves out. I can't sort out my own life, let alone the whole world. Uh, and that's why I want to finish uh, in this passage by showing why we need Jesus now. Uh, and to do that, I want to take us back to the first question that that religious leader asked Jesus and his initial answer. So back to the start of our passage, back to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Um, so this is where we began uh, and one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, have you read it? Well, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus said, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus is not saying that it's possible to earn eternal life by what you do. He's not saying that. 
He says, the answer is there, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. Who can do that? Who can live up to that standard? If it was possible, the Jewish people would not have needed the sacrificial system. The whole sacrificial system was set up to, to deal with it when they failed. No one can do this. And the religious leader, he knew that. He knew that. That's why he tried to minimise it, isn't it? That's why he said, oh, well, well, who is my neighbour? He tried to make it smaller. He tried to make it doable. We can't march out of here with a list of good works, tick them off and feel that we've done what we need to do to qualify for eternal life, to be considered a good person in God's eyes, which is why we need Jesus. Not just to show us what perfect love looks like, not just to show us the kind of life that qualifies uh, to have eternal life. It, it does, Jesus does do that, but that's not why we need him primarily. We need Jesus because he lived that life perfectly and because he loves us perfectly. He loves others in a way that we could never love others. Jesus is the only human ever to perfectly love others, to love their neighbour as themselves. Jesus alone is God, so he alone is truly good. Jesus alone earned, Jesus alone deserved eternal life rather than death. And Jesus alone loves us perfectly. Now, we've all been imperfectly loved. Some of us have just been loved a little less than ideal. Others have been really let down by people in our lives. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to check out Jesus because he is the only one who always loves perfectly. I want to take us to, to 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. And here's what we read there about Jesus' love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What we see happening at the cross wasn't a tragedy. It was all part of the plan. Jesus went through Jerusalem. He allowed himself to be crucified. He took on himself the wrath, the righteous anger and judgment and punishment of God that we deserved, that was deserved for our sins, for our rebellion against God. He took the debt that we owed to God and paid it in full. That's what was happening at the cross. And in exchange, he was giving that perfect life that Jesus lived. He was giving that record to us. At the cross, Jesus was fixing what was broken. Our relationship with our Father, with our Father in heaven. We broke that relationship by rebelling against him. And Jesus at the cross, Jesus at the cross, he fixes that and he enables us to come back to God, whole and deserving of eternal life, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. What we see here is that Jesus' love not only comes to us, but it actually overflows. That's how that second verse ends. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
when you have been perfectly loved, when Jesus' huge love has, has flowed into us, the imagery is that it flows in and we get so full it overflows. And it allows us to, to love others. It allows us to act in love. Uh, if we read on for the next couple of verses, it shows us what this looks like. As John writes this letter of 1 John, verse 17 and 18... If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So while uh, you look at the COVID-19 pandemic pandemic, and, and you think, wow, I can do these things, we do have a list of things we can do to love others. I want to encourage us now to flee to Jesus. He's the only one who truly loves his neighbor perfectly. We will fail. We have failed and we will fail in the future to love others perfectly. Flee to Jesus. He offers forgiveness and righteousness and eternal life. If only we will trust in him. Accept him. Embrace his love. And, and as that flows into you and fills you, I want to encourage you to just let it flow back out to to share that love. And as we have such a great opportunity in this season to show that love practically in what we do. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you so much for the way you have loved us. That you don't just tell us to love, but you, you show us what love looks like. You define love uh, by offering yourself up as a sacrifice. We thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much that you took on yourself our sin and our debt and our punishment and exchange you offer us uh, your perfect record of perfectly loving your father and your neighbor as yourself. Our Father God, we thank you that because of what happened on the cross, we can come to you as your children. And we pray that as your love fills us, it will overflow. Please empower us to act selflessly and sacrificially to love our neighbours. Protect us from narrowing that down, from seeking to only love those we like or those who are close to us, but doing good as we have opportunity. And we thank you for all this. In Jesus' name.